Everything is wonderful and horrible all at the same time. Yes. Welcome. It's a well, Monday. Everything is awesome. <laughs> I think this is why we don't do podcasting on a Monday. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, what what can we talk about that, that can go into the show? <laughs> Nothing we've spoken about so far. 15 minutes. Wow. <laughs> You're going to have to speed read. What shall we, Cleary? Yeah. There were no breaches in the in the world the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the internet has been a safe domain. We have relaunched pass keys, and now there is no more hacking. Oh, what a relief. <laughs> we did it, folks. We solved all the internet's problems. Time to retire. Hey, Rue. Hey, yes. Rue, guess what? What? Guess what? What? Did you know October mm. is Cybersecurity Awareness Month? I did not. You didn't? I did not. I, I feel like I should know this, <laughs> but I didn't. That's amazing. It's because you don't work in marketing, Rue. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in that tone, we are actually going to be running a giveaway for the month of October. Hooray! Yay! All you need to do is write into the show with your favorite 1Password tip or a fun use case that you'd be happy to share with others. We'll read out some of our favorites here on the show. We'd love to hear how you're using 1Password and how it helps you in the day-to-day. No matter how weird or wonderful or niche use your case is, even if you're an Arctic Research Center using 1Password down in Antarctica, we still want to hear from you. And if we read out your tip or suggestion here on the show, you will receive one year of 1Password for free. Nice. Yes. I always love free stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You can write into the show at podcast at 1Password.com. Or send us a tweet slash X something or other. Whatever we're calling it these days. Whatever whatever we call it. I don't know. Do we? Yeah. I, don't, I can't cross tweet. I don't know. What do you put? What do you call it on threads? Because we should just talk about threads. Yes. <laughs> you can send it into the ether using the hashtag <laughs> RBM giveaway. Entries will close on October 25th. And we'll be announcing the winners on the episode at the end of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, October 31st. Nice. It's wonderful. Yeah, I can't wait to hear some strange and weird and wonderful use cases. I love all the random tips. I find them to be, that's where the gold is. It's like, I had no idea I could do that. Yeah. Even after all these years, there's always something new to learn. Love it. Anyway, let's get into some Watchtower Weekly. Uh, named after, of course, our Watchtower feature in 1Password that helps keep you safe online, lets you know about breaches and things like that. In this segment, we like to share out some recent security headlines and breaking news and, and share our thoughts on them. So, This week, we are going to kick off with MGM losing up to $8.4 million each day as it resolves its cyber attacks. So MGM Resorts International was projected to lose up to $8.4 million in revenue every day until every day. Every day. My God. Until it fixed cybersecurity issues that affected its reservation systems, slot machines, and casino floors in multiple states. According to a research note from Jeffrey's gaming industry analyst David Katz, the company, which fell victim to a cyber attack last week, is projected to face a near-term loss between 10 and 20% in revenue and cash flow, quote, for the days that the condition exists. According to Jeffrey's analysts, MGM generates about $42 million in daily revenue. Hmm. Modest. $42 million in daily revenue. <laughs> And eight million dollars in daily cash flow across the entire company. That those numbers are astounding. Caesars Entertainment also confirmed that a hacker infiltrated its computer system and stole customer data in a recent cyber attack. The company reportedly paid tens of millions of dollars to keep the hackers from releasing the company's data. The Washington Post reported that these recent hacks of Caesars Entertainment and casinos owned by MGM were probably carried out by teens and young adults who have allied themselves with one of the world's most notorious ransomware gangs, part of a trend that does not seem to be slowing down. The group, known to security firms as Scattered Spider, can we do a can we do a, a quick a rating on that one? Hacker, no hacker. <laughs> is it real or fake? I mean, well, this is totally real, but this one's real. Scattered I spider. Know. I don't like a seven out of ten. Ooh, I was gonna go. No, seven. That's good. I don't want to like solid seven. Scattered spider. Real name. Seven out of ten. We'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Known as Scattered Spider and a variety of other names, it is tied to a Telegram account that boasted last week of the MGM hack. 
Security researchers have been vague about the makeup of the group, agreeing mainly that members are generally English-speaking, financially motivated, and have been very active in the past two years, targeting large companies via stolen employee credentials and tricks, such as convincing tech support employees that they have been accidentally locked out of their computers and need a new password. So some, some nice phishing and social engineering going on there as well. They moved from cryptocurrency thefts to targeting businesses that provide third-party business functions such as help desks and call center staffing, allowing them to infiltrate networks of many customers. And they extorted Western Digital and other technology firms after stealing internal data before heading for the jackpots in Las Vegas. Excellent phrasing there. Good job. (laughs) New research gives an origin story to the hackers who the experts say call themselves star fraud. They say the group consists of a few dozen hackers who have connected online and are part of a much larger association known internally as the COM, short for community. Star fraud, like others in the COM, came together through crimes enabled by SIM swapping, which usually involves persuading phone company employees to hand over control of someone else's phone number. The poor security controls around those numbers have allowed criminals to amass millions of dollars by beating SMS text-based two-factor authentication on cryptocurrency accounts. Whew. Yeah. MGM is in bad shape right now. That is, that is rough. All I can think about is when you said it's assumed to be young people, young adults and young teenagers, because I think if it was senior citizens, it would be a movie, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's funny you should say that, actually, because I recently rewatched Ocean's Eleven. Have you both seen that? <gasps> Me too! Over the weekend! No way! On Friday! That's so weird! Yes! It, it holds up! Yeah, it really does hold up, but... Thinking about that movie in this context and like thinking about the lengths that Danny Ocean and the gang go through to rob that casino in the vault of millions of dollars. And yet we have like teenage hackers here just hitting a few quick keys on their on their laptop in their bedroom, probably. Yep. And effectively doing the same thing. It's, it's pretty wild. Yep. Agreed. Crazy. Let's move on to this story from 404media.co. The end of privacy is a Taylor Swift fan TikTok account armed with facial recognition tech. A viral TikTok account is doxing ordinary and otherwise anonymous people on the internet using off-the-shelf facial recognition technology to create content and grow a following. This article argues that this account is taking advantage of a fundamental new truth and that privacy is now essentially dead in public spaces. The 90,000 follower TikTok account typically picks targets who appeared in other viral videos or people suggested to the account in the comments. Many of the account's videos show the process, screenshotting the video of the target, cropping images of the face, running those photos through facial recognition software, and then revealing the person's full name, social media profile, and sometimes employer to millions of people who have liked the videos. There's an entire branch of content on TikTok in which creators show off their OSINT doxing skills, OSINT being open source intelligence or information that is openly available online. But the vast majority of them do it with the explicit consent of the target. This account is doing the same without the consent of the people they chose to dox. As a bizarre aside, this account appears to be run by a Taylor Swift fan with many of the doxing videos, including Swift's music and including videos of people at the Eras tour. TikTok claims the account does not violate its policies, but the TikTok account, conversations with victims, and TikTok's own lack of action on the account show that access to facial recognition technology combined with a cultural belief that anything public is fair game now means that all it takes is one random person on the internet to target you and lead a crowd in your direction one target said he felt violated after the tiktok account using facial recognition tech targeted him another said they initially felt flattered before it promptly gave way to worry all of the approach victims echoed that this behavior showed them how exposed we are potentially by simply existing in public One of the victims, Matthew, had no idea someone had just taken an otherwise anonymous clip of him and run facial recognition tech against it. At the time, he was on his honeymoon in South Africa. Some friends had seen the original video and told him they found it funny, but then he started to hear about this second video that unmasked him. My Instagram exploded, Matthew said. I think I got about 2,000 plus follower requests, dozens of DMs asking me things like, what is my OnlyFans? One person even emailed Matthew's work email. Oh, still on his honeymoon, Matthew said he couldn't relax. He, quote, felt a bit violated. He hated the fact the TikTok creator had used his employer's website to find him. Matthew reported the video to TikTok, but received no response, and the video and the account remain online. This is all awful. I don't like this at all. Like, no thanks. (laughs) Yeah, and for someone that doesn't really have social media, this is kind of the exact reason why I deleted my accounts. Like, it doesn't feel like we have much privacy at all anymore. And I know for a lot of people, they willingly share a lot of their lives online. But what happens when it's photos that 
we didn't want to share or make public or ones that we didn't even know were being taken and made public in the first place. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just don't get it. Like, is it just my kid takes a funny video of me doing a dance very badly? They put it on and then all of a sudden everyone wants to know where I work and I don't know what because of this? Or is this like, are we trying to target people that have, you know, poor social behavior out in the world? Or I don't understand what this is for. Like, what what do people want this for? I don't get it. I don't think it's any of that. No. We're just doing it to do it? I think so. Jeez, we need better hobbies, people. (laughs) 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 What would you suggest people take up instead, Sarah? Lego. Some Lego. Have you guys seen Lego? <laughs> yeah. Lego. This is where I think my my teenagers who say, Mom, you need to go touch grass. I think that's where this comes from. I like that. Go touch grass. Go touch grass. As in like ground yourself? Have you never heard that? No, it's like you got to. No, what is you've that? You've got to go outside and be in the world. Like turn off the computer and, and go back into the world because. Stop staring at a screen. Yeah. Got it. You've been <laughs> indoors for okay. too long. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right, let's see. Okay, VideoGamesChronicle.com reports a ransomware group claims to have breached, quote, all Sony systems. Ransomware group Ransomed.VC claims to have successfully breached Sony Group and is threatening to sell a cache of data stolen from the Japanese company. While its claims remain unverified, Cybersecurity Connect reports that the relative ransomware newcomer, quote, has racked up an impressive amount of victims since bursting onto the scene last month. Quote, we have successfully compromised all of Sony's systems, the group claimed on both the clear and dark nets. Quote, we won't ransom them. We will sell the data due to Sony not wanting to pay. Data is for sale. In response to claims it's been hacked, Sony has said it's, quote, investigating the situation. According to Cybersecurity Connect, the group has posted some proof of hack data, although it says this is, quote, not particularly compelling information on the face of things. It includes what appear to be screenshots of an internal login page, an internal PowerPoint presentation, several Java files, and a file tree of the leak, which seemingly includes fewer than 6,000 files. Ransomed.vc is said to be both a ransomware operator and a ransomware-as-a-service organization. It claims to be, quote, a secure solution for addressing data security vulnerabilities within companies, and also to be operating in, quote, strict compliance with GDPR and data privacy laws. <laughs> well, thank goodness the government's not coming after them for violating GDPR. That's that's good. <laughs> Most of Ransom.VC's members reportedly operate out of the Ukraine and Russia. In 2011, Sony's PlayStation Network suffered a massive breach that resulted in the personal details of approximately 77 million accounts being compromised and the service being taken offline for 23 days. Sony initially estimated the hack would cost it more than $100 million and it was forced to apologize not only to players, but developers whose game launches were disrupted or whose online services were left unavailable. Sony eventually faced as many as 55 class action lawsuits and agreed to offer compensation for those affected, including free games. I received some of those free games and uh, they were fine. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I love that. Just just have a free game, you know. It'll all be okay. <laughs> I have to say I love their, uh, we're not going to ransom the data. We only sell it. <laughs> we only so, sell it. basically, they stole the data. <laughs> they said to Sony, hey, are you going to pay it for us? We're holding it ransom. Sony said no. And then they said, okay, never mind. We're not going to ransom it anyway. That was never our intent. <laughs> we were just here to sell it. As per GDPR privacy laws. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, we're not violating that. Don't worry, it's all good. Ransomware as a service as well always just freaks me out. Yep. Yep. The fact that that even exists. I agree. Yeah, I don't care for it. Oh, man. All right. So I think we can jump into my favorite interview this week, which has essentially gone into my top five for favorite guest interviews we've ever done. I recently had the chance to sit down with Jamie Woodruff. Jamie is an ethical hacker who has broken into a blockbuster list of social and tech giants. So you can imagine he has some fascinating stories to tell. While he's a well-known cybersecurity speaker, Jamie hasn't actually done too many podcast appearances in the past, so it was an honor to spend some time with him and pick his brain over all things social engineering and what we can all do to protect ourselves against these kind of attacks. If I had to guess, Anna would probably just drop drop it it in in here. here. Joining me on the show today is Jamie Woodruff. Jamie is one of the world's leading authorities on hacking and cybersecurity. As an ethical hacker, he has reported vulnerabilities to many notable social and tech giants. 
He is currently working as a chief technology officer and is also the cyber safety advisor for the Cyber Smile Foundation, which specializes in online cyber bullying. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Very excited to have you today. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Could we doing better? It's, uh, it's far too hot here for me. <laughs> but other than that, we're very good. Good, good, good. Yeah, it, we've got some heat rolling through, rolling through here on the east coast of the States as well. So I do feel the pain. <laughs> so as an ethical hacker, you've got a unique perspective on cybersecurity. Can you share a little bit about your journey and and what led you to start hacking, but reporting bugs rather than exploiting them? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a weird one, really. So I'm autistic myself, as well as dyslexic and dyspraxic. So I've always kind of disassociated myself from individuals or people. I haven't I didn't really get actively involved in making friendships during childhood and stuff like that. I kind of resonated more with technology. I've always been interested with how kind of mechanical things work, how you take things apart. And then I remember one day I was, I think it was nine years old at the time, and my father brought a computer home. And it was the first time that you know, I'd ever realistically got to play on one and, and tinker about. And then, yeah, he set it all up at home and he went out with my mother at the time for about an hour. So I was looking after my younger brother and uh, I started basically taking the computer apart, really. I don't think he was very happy at the time. Put everything back together, turned it on, and then all of a sudden we got multiple beeps that we didn't really understand. (laughs) So when my father came back to fire up the computer, it wasn't working and it went off to the local store to get repaired. So I went to the store and it turns out that I hadn't slotted the RAM incorrectly at the time and that was what was causing the issue. And then over the course, I used to break it deliberately, go to the store, I'd sit with the guys, they'd teach me about different tech and I'd, I'd learn a lot of knowledge um, about how this you know this side of things operated. And then I was more interested in the GUI side. So I started um, tinkering uh, around, uh, looking at different types of malware. Then I started getting uh, involved with like communities and looking at like the hacking efforts and the stuff that was moving forward at the time when I was younger um, and learning an awful lot of knowledge. You know, and I kind of had that choice really if I went down the, the white hat path or the black hat path. And, you know, I'd always wanted to, to kind of to help individuals and help people. So I got into hacking at such a young age. I uh, then got expelled from school for hacking. And then I went to college. I got expelled again from college for hacking. So at the time, I hacked Moodle, which was like their online learning CRM, I guess you could say. And I found and disclosed uh, several vulnerabilities inside there. And they wasn't too too happy about it at the time and let me go from college. So then I ended up working in the mental health sector with people with learning difficulties and uh, different disabilities. And I did that for about two to three years which was wonderful for me because I could turn off work at 7 p.m. and all the residents would be asleep by 11 p.m. and I get to play my laptop all the way until the morning, the following 7 a.m. And then I used to go after bug bounties to kind of make extra money. And then I got heavily involved in the social side. So throughout my period of growing up, I'd always looked at people as objects, a means to to kind of associate or, or talk to, enter in discussions, but I didn't really form any bonds at all. And there was no kind of empathy element there. I had to learn it, you know, a very hard way over a long extended period of time. I wanted to focus primarily on the human side to security because people make the decisions, they make the choices, but necessarily a lot of it is random order, right? If you wake up, Michael, say in the morning at 9, well, 6 a.m., I hope, <laughs> and you decide one day that you're going to rebel or you're going to go against you know, everything that you've done, it's very difficult for like AI software to kind of pick up on that. It's very difficult to look at the human emotional side of things and apply that to cybersecurity. But then equally, we are very you know repetitive in what we do, right? So if we wake up at a certain time, we have a routine, we drive to work the same route or we arrive at roughly the same time and we have a preferred parking spot that we utilize. And over the time, you can kind of pick up a lot of traits on individuals. So I focus primarily on the interactive side, finding the weaknesses and going down that exploitational level. So a little bit more of an introduction there than the guy that found uh, vulnerabilities with Kim Kardashian, which is another one that I normally get. (laughs) (laughs) The empathy angle is really fascinating to me. You mentioned that it's something that you had to learn. Yeah. So with me, so I've got two younger children, two daughters, uh, very much love them. They're my world. You know, when they was born, it was very difficult for for me to to kind of understand their reactions and expressions and stuff. So I went to almost like empathy lessons, which taught me how to act in certain conditions. And when it's applied to a security element, what people need to understand is, you know, these guys, they don't care about your your environment. They don't care about your revenue streams. They don't care about, you know, you've got to wake up and maintain and manage that business and look after the employees and the salaries associated with it. All they care about is making money or, or extracting data via, you know, financial means in a sense. And to me, it was ideal being the fact that I'm autistic to look at that and take that approach to it. You know, I've never met a person within the cybersecurity field that doesn't have 
a different way of thinking essentially outside the box. And that's what a lot of industries need to kind of understand and comprehend. It's not it's not what you can do on paper, it's what you're capable of. And I think a lot of companies, you know, especially some of the SMEs that do support the larger organizations, are focusing more on now of, of what the knowledge is and not what essentially the educational route or institutional route that you've gone down to get to that specific point. Yeah, indeed. That's that's fascinating. So we know that you've, you've disclosed some vulnerabilities to many notable tech giants. Do you have any particularly memorable uh, examples from, from previous in, endeavors or particularly challenging vulnerabilities? Yeah, so I recently disclosed one in with Amazon with AWS. I don't really go down the bug bounty route anymore just when I'm bored, basically, or when I've got free time on my hands, I tend to have a, an explore around. And there was an issue with the IM permissions um, that I disclosed. I remember at the time I got one phone call from a tech lead that turned into 20 tech leads that turned into a lot of individuals involved in this particular thing. To kind of replicate the bug itself, I'm not going to go into details because I can't, to kind of replicate it was a, a series of steps that you wouldn't necessarily normally go down to get to that particular outcome. And it was only at the time that I was trying to figure something out that I reached this particular point, again, through, through exploration. I like the book bounty protocols um, you know, that a lot of organizations are putting into effect. And I like the fact that a lot of it is community driven. A lot of software now is going down the open source route. When I was growing up, a majority of stuff you know, was proprietary. We did have the open source element to it, but there was a lot of reliant upon you know, like law enforcement, for instance, utilizing Cellbrite, which is from an Israeli defense company. You know, there's a lot of different outreach and different steps to, to essentially get down. So with me, now that we're going a lot open source, we if we look at NHS, for instance, during COVID-19, they put their applications on GitHub that was explaining to people essentially how they worked and operated. There was a lot of questions that were raised from that side of the community that helped input into the security standards of an application. So I'm, you know, I'm all about the, the the open source element, definitely. So I did read something about you impersonating a Domino's pizza delivery driver. Well, I, I wouldn't say impersonating. I was employed for four days, so <laughs> I wouldn't go down the route of impersonating. But there's many notable attacks that I've done over the years, and and again, going back to the the prime discussion that I said earlier about you know thinking outside the box, and that's what we've got to do. I have many different uniforms that I utilize, uh, FedEx, DPD, UPS, uh, DHL, Royal Mail, cabin crew, airlines, if I'm testing with airports. And in this particular instance, it was it was Domino's that allowed me to uh, to gain access to this infrastructure. Now, what was happening, I won't go into details about the particular infrastructure itself. I'm sure you can find out if you do your research. But they would order pizza every Friday, and I was uh, conducting a uh, social engineering attack at the time. I'd been... Uh, you know, contracted by the organization to find a weakness. What a lot of people do is you can break into our company by any means necessary without causing physical damage or distress to employees, which is really fun, to be honest. Being autistic, it's difficult because, you know, you've got to do a continuous risk assessment all the time. At DRA, you've got to work with um, potential solicitors or lawyers that are involved and just make sure that you are sticking to that very fine line because there's been many notable incidents in the past where you know a white hat hacker or a you know a cybersecurity specialist has accidentally wandered across a different type of infrastructure or gone outside the scope essentially that's led to them potentially being arrested so in this instance they'd order pizza on a friday and this guy would turn up with maybe five ten pizza boxes he would get a visitor badge, he'd go inside the infrastructure and then he'd return 10, 15 minutes later. And, you know, during the six weeks investigation that I was doing, I was looking at entry points, uh, access points, exit points, uh, employee parking facilities, associated third party contractors, what CCTV systems are they using, the alarm companies, the engineers that are associated with that infrastructure, just delving into absolutely everything to find a particular weakness. So this guy would return, and that's the first layer of security that I needed to gain access to. So what I did was I followed him back to the to the Domino's that he was working at, and I applied to be a delivery driver. It was really easy, by the way. I got a, a bum belt and a T-shirt from Domino's, and then I worked for the period of four days before I quit. And then on the particular Friday, I did the, the uh, delivery drop. So I turned up to the infrastructure. I got a visitor's badge, and I walked through the first layer of security, which was them first access doors. Then inside the, you know, how we've got all the fire department plans and layouts and schematics and stuff. So you can kind of have a map to where things are based on what you're looking at. So I was able to find one of the server rooms that was being utilized there. And it wasn't any, um, you know, the access uh, rights that we see nowadays. It was uh, the old school kind of, you know, the C1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 twist locks to kind of get in. 
So what I did was I sprayed it with aluminol, and the aluminol shows up under a black light, and you can see the smudges of the person that's last entered that particular port or last utilized that lock. Now, it doesn't matter, again, what pins are punched. The pins just have to be punched. It doesn't matter in what particular order. So I was able to shine a black light under it, and then I could see where the pins were punched. And then, obviously, I got into that layer of security there. And then from there, I could have deployed ransomware. I could have deployed malware. But And again, this took, what, maybe a period of four to five weeks of just doing some investigative research and going through things such as planning, uh, town hall submission applications, who they're working with, who they're utilizing from a third-party supply chain perspective. And if you know malicious individuals are going to walk away with a very large amount of money, Nine times out of ten attacks are, you know, crimes of opportunity, a drive-by attacks, or randomly stumbled across the service or something that's open, for instance. But if they want to target your organization, they're going to target it, and they're going to find a way in. They have all the time in the world to go up against all the defenses that you guys are utilizing, but all it takes is for that one thing, right? That one thing that's to open, and then it allows them access. You know, data is far more valuable than currency in this day and age, Michael. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I think that what probably stops most people from considering these these types of, of avenues in is is just sort of that belief that like, well, come on, no one's going to go get employed at Domino's just to sneak in here. Like, why? Like, why would they do that? Honestly, you'd be surprised with some of the attacks that I've utilized. I once broke into a building, we'll say it in the United Kingdom, I'm not going to say where, and this was relatively recent. And the way that I got into the building, I don't think it's a very bad way, but they have a fertility clinic in this particular building. So I booked in at the facility clinic. So I got through the same layer of, of, of that element into the building and then utilized the stairs to walk up to the target that I was actually initially designed to do a social engineer attack for. And then the silly doors, you just spray some aerosol or spray some deodorant through the doors and they'll just open with the infrared sensor on the opposite side. <laughs> you know, it's just stupid things like that that people think, well, no one's going to do it. So what's the point? But it, there's so many ways in. No company around the world is secure. I don't care what people say. There's always a way in. If you have time to find and time to look at and time to conduct research or have financial means to be able to fund that, then, you know, it's it's for a game. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's, let's take a step back for a minute for the audience. And can you explain the importance of ethical hacking and how it contributes to improving cybersecurity for individuals and for organizations? Yeah. So the best way to look at it is let's let's look at this word, right? Ethical hacking applies to so much. The analogy that I always use is you go to a hospital and you ask for a doctor. That doctor is just the first route. So if you're a kid, you might go to a pediatrician. If you need a neurologist, you'll go to a neurologist. And if you've got a skin condition, you might go to a dermatologist, right? But these are all variations of doctor. Same with cybersecurity. A lot of people say, well, I want a cybersecurity guy. Okay, wicked. What do you need? Well, I just want a hacker. Okay, what do you need? You know, do you need a hardware guy? Do you need a software guy? Do you need a, a database guy? Do you need a web application systems engineer? Or what do you particularly need? And a lot of companies, again, have no idea, you know, essentially, especially ones that have grown so rapidly in such a short period of time. You need the good guys, right? You need police to protect your physical security. You need ethical hackers to protect your online security. Majority of your working life, majority of your day evolves around some form of, of online connection, right? Whether that's your children watching YouTube or taking part in class applications to do their homeworks or giving them access to your devices to be able to do them types of things. But then it might have company stuff on them, particular devices. So again, all our working life and, and, and our normal life is, is, is spent from that online perspective. We're the good guys. You know, you never see us in the media that get portrayed in a very good light. It's always the negative impact to it. Or Russian state-sponsored attacks have targeted X, Y, and Z. Or the ongoing conflicts that we're seeing, it's always that side. But you need an ethical hacker. It is really important. And companies need to take security seriously, especially in this day and age. It's only going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, yeah. In your experience, what are some of the most common mistakes or oversights that individuals or organizations make when it comes to securing their systems? Not having the most adequate budget for their particular organization. I meet a lot of security guys. I meet a lot of IT guys, um, especially throughout the years, and their budgets are very much constrained because senior C-level executives or board, board executives don't really understand the nature of what it is that they do. They just know that their systems remain online and operational but might not necessarily get the right information to such as like DR contingencies or any plans that are associated on policies or procedures that they use. 
the biggest threat that companies face now is ransomware or insider threats. You know, that's a massive rise. There was some stuff published on Krebs Security where malicious individuals were reaching out to employees and, you know, trying to persuade them to, to run or execute malware internally. And then they'll get a payout of whatever their company pays. So they're going above and beyond. They're changing the way that they're adapting towards organizations. There's quite an interesting case that I've worked on quite recently, Michael, that I'd like to show yourself that I think is relevant. Yeah, go for it. Love to hear it. Yeah. So I was working with a company quite recently and they have about 180 employees. I got a phone call and they said like, hey, Jamie, you know, we've, we've seen you speak at an event, but we've got a bit of an issue that's quite serious and we don't really know how to approach it. I said, right, okay, what is it? So they said, well, we've got this guy internally, right? And whatever he touches attempts to get infected with ransomware. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, it sounds really fun. What do you want me to do? So I went out to the company. I sat with the employee and I followed him around his working day. So I had lunch with him. I went out for a cigarette with him. I just basically studied his behavior, the way that he was operating and what he was doing, what programs he was utilizing, et cetera. One thing that I noticed is some days he'd come to work with his electronic cigarette and he'd be fully charged because he's charged it at home. And on one particular day, it wasn't, it was, the battery was flat. So he pulls out this cable from his desk drawer, plugs it into his machine. He plugs it into his e-cigarette and starts to charge it, right? About 15 minutes later, the computer gets completely isolated from the network as per the AV solution that they're utilizing at that time. What it was doing is we actually found out during the course of the investigation that in this particular cable, there was a hidden SIM card. And what had happened is when he plugged it in, it was going to a remote CNC server that was attempting to download and drop malware on his machine. With regards to patch management, it wasn't fully patched and updated on the particular machine. It attempted to run this code as elevated and then you know, essentially drop and download ransomware on the machine. Now, that to me is, is mad because during the cleanup operation of when we went through things, we went through all the WatchGuard firewall logs. We found out that it was bought from Wish.com and basically the malicious store in question took out paid marketing, targeting all employees of that particular company and everybody in a two mile radius to that building. Whoa. Right? And this guy who just spent £3.50 buying a cable... <laughs> That looked really good, by the way. It did not look sketchy at all. And then to have a SIM card embedded into it to target that particular company just goes to new heights. So, yeah, so that really did blow my mind. And again, that's some of the attacks that we are seeing. Very sophisticated. You know, it's not like where you ring up now and say, hey, Michael. And you're like, hey, Jamie, what's up? And you're like, yeah, you know, I just need some quick record and exchange of information or I need you to kind of pass something over that might be proprietary. It's none of that stuff anymore. It's very, very complex. It's very sophisticated. So that sounds hopeless and awful, <laughs> Jamie. Well, welcome to cybersecurity. <laughs> Okay, you mentioned budget. You mentioned budget as like, you know, the yeah. oversights people don't they don't invest in the security here. Like what are the other things that people can do? Like if you are someone who is trying to manage a a very small security budget within a company, yeah. how do you bring more attention to it or like what steps do you take? One of the biggest things is is that I recommend is people working directly with vendors. You know, you see an IT guy, and I see this all too often in SMEs. And again, SMEs are the backbone of large entities, right? They provide maybe um, accounts or payroll systems for larger enterprises or uh, third-party services that hook into their systems, etc. Um, and one of the biggest things that I see is people will buy some software and just try and implement it or install it themselves. You know, especially like with a smaller IT department in an SME, for instance. A lot of people as well take on like cloud services, but don't really understand if it's a managed service or if it's an unmanaged service until something affects them. And then all of a sudden they can't get any support or access to the relevant store. But vendors is a very, very, very important one, making sure that they understand your organizational needs, making sure they understand exactly what data is important to you. And again, that's another big thing for within companies that they say, well, my data is protected. Well, what's the most critical systems? You know, what systems do you need to get back online, you know, after an attack or after a breach to, to ensure that your employees can continue working and being productive and you're not just hemorrhaging money out? Another one as well is cybersecurity insurance. Still, a lot of companies don't have any cybersecurity insurance. So if they become victim to a malicious attack, they won't pay out. And again, a lot of companies go into liquidation, end up shutting down and closing down just because a breach, you know, essentially has occurred. So it's relaying all this information, looking across the entire entire company, making a plan, making an inventory. There's still to this day that I find companies that have Raspberry Pis, you know, working on their um, advertisement machines, for instance, that are connected to the same internal network as other critical systems. 
But again, that doesn't get patched. It's just there to display a menu or it's just there to display some information in a lobby. So it's ensuring that we understand exactly what is happening and what is occurring. Taking a step back and think, right, you know, we've grown at this particular pace over this extensive period of time. So over this time, what new stuff have we had? What new vendors have we worked with? What third party kind of supply chain perspectives are we utilizing? What's the communication level? Who has access to the required rights to just do their roles? Because again, a lot of people still have, you know, local administrative rights, for instance, in SMEs, which is a big danger. What about from an individual point of view? What steps do individuals take to protect themselves? And, and... honestly, invest in carrier pigeons, Michael. <laughs> it's far more secure to transfer information at this given day and age. <laughs> no, it's, it's more so just just understanding. If we kind of revert back to COVID, right? So. It was very much drummed in the the United Kingdom, the government over here, you know, you must wash your hands. You must wash your hands. It was everywhere. It was one of the biggest campaigns I'd seen in my lifetime. And taking that approach ensured that something that we should have done on a day-to-day basis, we just remind ourselves to essentially do it from a subliminal perspective. Same with security. You know, take your personal security to the utmost importance. It starts in your home life and then it adapts towards the corporate environment. He's adapting it in your home life. He's taking it seriously. When you're using your chip and pin, you know, hide your pin number. It's sensitive. You know, it's making sure that your patches are applied on your mobile devices. A lot of people still haven't updated their devices because it's an inconvenience of five minutes. So they'll click remind me tomorrow or remind me tomorrow. And then before you know it, it's six months out of date. And, you know, given the risen rise of QR-based attacks, for instance, QR code attacks, uh, a lot of Android devices are massively impacted with that. So it's just taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's it's interesting, you know, to sort of look at it through that lens of you know, social or education programs that we've all been exposed to throughout our lives. You know, and here in the States, it was when we were growing up, it was reduce, reuse, recycle. That was like the recycling <laughs> program. And like, I learned that when I was in grade two, and it's still embedded in my head because it was repeated so much. And so I think that you're absolutely right. If we can embed some sort of cybersecurity mantra into people or some, you know, just a viewpoint, it will stick and it will help. Yeah. And, and the difficulty is the internet of things, or not just IoT, but the internet in general is very much an anonymous place. Anyone can publish anything or anyone can post any information at all. And it's not regulated, you know, to a certain angle or a certain element. I mean, there's been several instances during, you know, my social engineering based attacks where, you know, one employee's published their date of birth on one forum and then another forum they've published their general location. Then they've signed up to do some exercise management and weight loss tracking and then publish some other confidential information. And then all of a sudden all of it together paints a very big picture to how to target that particular individual. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How does the development of, of AI and this, this sort of surge that we're seeing in all of these different these different large language models and, and everything else impact social engineering attacks? How does it add another layer of complexity or does it add another layer? Yeah. So if we look at kind of the risen rise of chat GPT, this has revolutionized everything from recruitment, getting individuals inside of an organization to, you know, there's an issue with your programming uh, that you're utilizing. Say we're writing a Lua script, for, script, for instance, you know, you've got a bug, you just copy paste it into chat GPT and it'll just tell you what's wrong with it or what, what function needs to be added or what library needs to be added, et cetera. So it's made it so much easier to access information, you know, from a malicious side, you can dig in, you can gather research, you can learn from kind of facts, statistics and trends of what's happening. If we look at the AI element to it as well, there's a bank in the Middle East that got breached uh, in January of last year. What they did was they used Fruit Loops, the actual uh, software that you use for editing music and creating different tracks and stuff, to synthesize the voice of the CEO by looking for all the YouTube videos and all the press releases that the CEO had done. Then they found out through some phishing attacks of the way that he treated his employees, so the, the way that he you know, pushed his ego around and the way that he spoke to them. They called up the bank. They managed to transfer over twenty million, you know, with the <laughs> bank manager to to an actual offshore account that then got loaded back through cryptocurrency. And this was a group of, um, I think it was around about seventeen people. You can find it online and then do a bit more research yourself. But again, Fruit Loops, it's it's a software that anyone can use. Anyone that has access to can download it and then being used to synthesize. And if we kind of move on to you know, the whole kind of meta landscape, for instance, of how we're we're doing all these digital worlds and stepping into these digital office environments and stuff it's not gonna be long before your profile gets cloned and somebody else jumps on and has a meeting that you're supposed to be attending yeah you know i've listened to a few podcasts where the hosts have 
sort of like jokingly use some of the the voice replication technology to take the place of guests who were maybe out that day, like regular guests. We're like, oh, well, he couldn't be here, but that's okay. Like we, we've used this to recreate his voice and, and stuff like that. And whenever I hear that stuff, all I can think is just how many high quality audio samples are now floating around the internet of my voice and like what that means for what comes next. Yeah. And it's just, it really is insane. So like if you ask Alexa who I am, she'll tell you I'm a British hacker. She's got my date of birth. She's got my children's names. All this information, I refer to <laughs> she as, as being alive, but all this information embedded into a database or data set remotely that I've not consented to, but could have been pulled from numerous different elements of articles or numerous different elements of published press releases, etc. But again, you know, can I say I don't want that? No, it's it's, it's far beyond that. You know, same for other individuals. We're past that element. We need to understand that technology is massively on the rise. I mean, if we look over the last 60 years of how much we have advanced as a society, it's just insanity. You know, the next 50 to 60 years, I'm very much scared for my daughters to even be online or even be connected to the internet. But unfortunately, that's the way of life. And that's how we trade. And that's how we make commodities and move them around. And that's how we make money, right? So there has to be a certain layer of approach and a certain layer of security that does get taken seriously. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, unreal. Unreal. It is. Okay. So I have a closing question, which I'm almost <laughs> I'm almost wary to ask, which is... Is there any optimism about the current cybersecurity landscape or how do we make sure that we're still fighting the good fight despite rapid and, and sometimes terrifying developments in technology? Yeah, I think from a vendor perspective, there is a lot of outreach now towards companies. You know, I've worked with quite a lot of MSPs in my time that have dealt with multiple clients at an end user level and they're getting support now. So, you know, stuff like new Microsoft security standards that came into effect, I believe, December. So mandatorily pushing stuff like MFA, for instance. You know, and that massively does help a, a company by having the vendor display, you know, different training material that they could utilize, um, explaining some of the benefits of services, but not directly pushing a product down a person's throat or down an organizational's throat. Um, and that's that's one thing that I am seeing change. People understand that the threats are out there. They're in the wild, right? There's zero days, every millisecond of us talking, there's going to be a new way in. And every time you patch one place or every time you cement the hole in the wall, it creates another problem. And that other problem will be found by somebody else. But equally, we all need to work together. It's a community-led approach. And I like, I really do have the emphasis on a lot of companies now that are pushing open source technologies. You know, I, it's amazing to see because you're actually seeing how that software is operating or how that program is being utilized and how even that can be adapted for a different service that's coming into effect. It's not like the dot com boom or I remember the days a long time ago with Zone Alarm being absolutely amazing. You know, it's, it's not like all the pretty colors anymore or the infographs. It's there's a lot of, you know, AI uh, driven approach to these technologies but i'm quite intrigued to see how the landscape's going to change over the next even 10 years 20 years but equally people do need to take security seriously you know malicious individuals have all the time in the world to sit and watch and monitor your employees and monitor your organization and what services you're offering and providing and if they find a way in they will find a way in yeah yeah wow well, Jamie, this has been a fantastic conversation today. I've really, really enjoyed hearing some of your stories and, and getting to chat with you. Where can people go to find out more about you or the work that you're doing? Ask Alexa. She seems to know what I'm doing tomorrow. So <laughs> <laughs> you can find me here, there and everywhere, really. I'm, I'm all over the place. I tend to keep a lot off social media. But if you really want to find me, you can find me. There's, uh, there's always a way. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jamie. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, thank you, Michael. And thanks to the team as well. Thank you. So, Sarah. All right. Time for some Did You Knows? Time for some Did You Knows. So now it is time for Did You Know? This is where we like to share a quick tip about 1Password and an easy win, something that our listeners might not know. We also like to throw in a few recommendations of things we've been loving lately, whether it's a, a movie, game, album, whatever we like, really, such as uh, Ocean's Eleven from our uh, yes. MGM story earlier today. Give it a rewatch. It still holds up. But this week, we actually have a special announcement here at 1Password. Passkey support is finally here. You can save and sign in with Passkeys using the desktop version of 1Password in the browser, as well as your iOS 17 and iPad OS 17 devices. You can also use 1Password on any device to view, organize, and share your saved passkeys. 
We're probably definitely 100% biased, but this is really the most convenient and complete passkey experience. You can get started adding passkeys for things like Google, Nintendo, GitHub, and others that have all turned on the capabilities for passkeys over the summer. You can use our online passkey directory or open Watchtower in 1Password to discover which of your logins can be upgraded with a passkey. Nice. I think that's the exciting part about passkeys, isn't it? Is that it's not complicated, it's not difficult, and it's very much smooth like butter. Once you've got it done, you just like it's it's like blinking. Yeah. Um, Anna, I know you've got a uh, passkey set up, yes? How was it? Yeah, it was it was super smooth. I've got a passkey set up for Okta, which we use, and yeah, process was super easy, super quick and even more simple than using a password it's just it just works it's very cool gotta love the magic very very cool so rue have you been loving anything before we move on to hacker no hacker you know this is not a security related thing i've just i've really been getting back into photography lately and i've just been loving getting out into the world and disconnecting from my computer a little bit and like going and making making photos here and there so what camera do you use uh, i have a nikon it's an older nikon it's about a decade old i haven't gone mirrorless yet it's still an slr oh they're still great though yes it's i'm still making wonderful photos with it it's one of those things where like i haven't squeezed every last bit of capability out of it yet and until i do i won't really feel super compelled to upgrade are you one of those budding photographers that has like a million different lenses no i have slowly amassed a small collection of lenses in a reasonable amount of time Um, (laughs) but I i haven't just bought a ton it's an investment it is an investment yes i was in montreal last week such a beautiful city and i was just out like every morning and every evening taking photos around the city i organized a photo walk while we were there for some folks at the company it was great we had a wonderful time that's cool yeah i love it yep very nice maybe we can share one or two of your photos in the show notes absolutely let's do it yes you can go snag one from my instagram yeah right i think we can move on to some hacker no hacker so in a world where hacker group names are either infamous or just too try hard each week, we try to guess if these hacker names are real or fake. And it's down my favourite part of the show because we get to play the Hacker No Hacker jingle. So hit it. Hacker No Hacker, is it real or fake? Ba-doom, doom, doom. Hacker No Hacker, real or a mistake? <laughs> nice. That's great. I feel like we need to go back up to the MGM one because we had Scattered Spider. Which oh, I, yeah. I probably would have thought that was legit. But then the other one was Star Fraud. And I 100% would have thought that was fake. It was fake. I would have. That's why this game is so amazing, because it could go either way with hacker group names. Nice. Are you ready for the first one, then? Ready. Ready for the first one. Okay. So first one, we have Nobody or N080DY. Nobody. That's, that's going to be real. Oh, see, I was going to go fake because that seems like a lot of effort. <laughs> That's a lot of different, like there's a shift button. There's a lot of, there's a lot of characters in there. That seems like a lot of effort for someone who's trying to steal stuff. I love the way that you think about this stuff, Sarah, because you're like, you're looking at your keyboard and you're like, That's a pain in the ass to type. I'm not going to, no, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> That's too try hard, that one. So Sarah, you are right on that front because it is fake. amazing that's great what did we have spider what was it called in the mgm story scattered spider scattered spider so on the similar vein we have lizard squad (laughs) that real or fake i'm gonna go with real like i'm thinking a bunch of teenagers out in the arizona desert you know i'm gonna take the opposite we're gonna i'm gonna go fake Okay, so Sarah has another point because it is real. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me they're from Arizona. Tell me they're from Arizona. They're not. They're from North Korea and they're known for hacking Facebook and Malaysia Airlines as well as gaming giants such as PlayStation Network and Xbox Live. They also take credit for shutting down the internet in North Korea in 2014. Fortunately, their attacks only lasted from 2014 to 2015 after key members of the group were arrested by authorities. Wow. Well, there you go. Okay, the bonkers part about this story now is that we're now at the point where we have historical ancient technology ransomware (laughs) group names that we're going with. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Okay, so personal favorite coming up here. We've got Poodle Corp. Is that real or fake? Real. Poodle Corp. 100%. Hundred uh, percent. I'm gonna go with fake because of the P. If it was Poodle Core, 
maybe, but the corp, the corp is what makes it fake. Come on, put me on the board, Anna. Let's go. Rue, you have got a point. You're clawing it back. It is real. (laughs) (laughs) So Poodle Corp is a group of hackers that have hacked people with many subscribers on YouTube. It was announced that they would also work with Lizard Squad, who we had earlier. A few hours after the release of Pokemon Go in many European countries, the game servers temporarily went down. The outage was claimed by Poodle Corp, who said they used a DDoS attack to take them down. Fantastic. Two hacker groups working together. Okay, so next up, Lord Digital. Is that real or is that fake? <laughs> That's got to be fake. Mm. It's got to be fake. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going fake on this one as well. Please. You are both incorrect oh no sorry damn it oh no so patrick kruper also known as lord digital is an american writer (laughs) hacker and activist kruper was a member of the legion of doom and cult of the dead cow hacker groups so some bonus hacker group names there for you oh no lord digital (laughs) i love that fantastic so next we have wasp prophecy is that real or fake Okay, I'm going to go real because the, the ones that seem to be based in living creatures today are the ones that are coming up real. So we're going to go we're going to go real on this one. I'm going to go fake because that's a long word. Prophecy is a long Prophecy. word. I'm going to go back to being lazy and I'm going to hope that it's fake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Sarah, you have another point. It is fake. God oh, thank it. goodness. No. <laughs> okay. We're ending on a high on this one, okay? Quite literally, is Cocaine Warriors from Persia. Is that real or fake? I want that to be real so badly. We're going to we're going to say real. I think I, you know, despite the the other one being wrong because it was too long, I think that one is so long and specific that it <laughs> has to be real. I have to agree with you, Ru. It's like Anna could not have made that. <laughs> no. No, I don't think you could have. <laughs> So you are both correct. It is real. So hackers calling themselves the Iranian Cyber Army and Cocaine Warriors from Persia hit the website of Azerbaijan's national airline and television station as TV in 2012. So there you go. Cocaine Warriors from Persia. Well done, Sarah. You trounced me. Great job. I, I, I didn't even know I did. <laughs> four to two that's quite the lead if only the lead carried over for those weeks where you do really bad (laughs) we need to see who's the ultimate winner soon it's true we're gonna have to total these up and get a get a best of the best oh if we start bringing trophies into this maybe we can get a one password branded real or not real uh trophy (laughs) (laughs) all right well this was this was a lot of fun are we good to wrap today? I think we are. We can wrap. Okay. I'm impressed we managed to get everything in. <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, uh, love you both. Bye-bye. Love you both. Love you both. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.